Welcome to Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. Without further ado, we'd like to welcome Andy Bird to the, to the platform. Come on, give it up for Andy as he comes. Let's stretch your hands towards Andy. Come on. And as he comes and releases the word over our community. Come on, Father, we thank you for Andy. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that rests upon him and the mandate uh, that you have given him for the world, Lord God, to provoke us, Lord God, for not only signs and wonders, but for the great commission. We ask today that you would speak to us, shift things in our community, even in our city, leading up to February. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. Do you think Pastor George might be the happiest person you know? Anybody else? Is, is it okay if I speak from down here? Is that all right? Excellent. Can you still see me okay? I'm not real tall, but uh, I think, oh, are you going to put that down too? Okay, all right. Wow, thanks. Okay. I think he might be the happiest man I've ever met. And, and uh, is Domino's a thing? I, it's a thing? Yeah? <laughs> All right, raise your hand, honesty check, if you played dominoes in the last year. <laughs> Pastor George, you're the only one. No, I'm, I'm kidding. There was others. <laughs> you know, there was others. <laughs> How, hand up high. <laughs> Should have looked around. It was the only hand. No, there were lots of other hands. And then where's the amen corner? Because I'm kind of going to need that amen. This is the amen corner? Wow. Yeah, yeah you too. Okay. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, there's more than an amen corner. We have an amen lady as well. <laughs> I wish the amen corner could just travel with me everywhere I go, just everywhere I go, because not everywhere has an amen corner, but everywhere needs an amen corner or an amen lady. So if you could travel with me as well, that would be phenomenal. But uh, it is such an honor to be with you. Um, I, I already love just the spirit and the joy that this community uh, carries. And uh, just, it's family. It's, it's fun to be together with family this morning. I think church has done best as family. And uh, this, is, this is less about the formality of a gathering. And it's more about connecting with Jesus and connecting with each other and leaving massively encouraged, a little more in love with God and a little more emboldened to walk out the call of God in our lives. So we're just going to have an amazing, fun time together. We already have. Uh, what an epic time of worship. And I kind of want to just pick up, well, just real short introduction. My name is Andy Bird, and uh, I live in Kona, Hawaii. I'm originally from Alaska, so I've lived in the two like states that are barely part of America and, uh, and, and often refer to themselves as kind of not part of America. If you live in Alaska, the rest of America is called the lower 48, so not even Alaska considered. Hawaii, part of America, and then when you live in Hawaii, you call the rest of America the mainland, so I, I've just lived in these strange states most of my life that I love very much, and I have uh, a bunch of kids. I don't know how many I'll have by the time I get home, but, uh, but, but, but when I left, I had six, okay, so... You just never know. I always joked about this. We have four biological children. We adopted a fifth, and uh, we had a, a foster daughter earlier this, uh, this year. She was with us for about four or five months. It was amazing. She came from a really rough background, and uh, now this next Saturday, she's back reunited with her mom. She got radically saved. Her mom saved, and this coming Saturday... Uh, 
I have the privilege of baptizing her. She's just so given her life to the Lord. But I always joked about, because my wife is the most big-hearted human on the planet, and uh, that someday, you know, I never know how many kids I'll come home to. And no lie, last trip I came home and we had another child, another foster daughter. And uh, so, so I do have six kids right now, which is amazing, and I love it. And my kids are incredible. They're the best part of life. But uh, so that's a little bit about me. I've been with YWAM for 20 years, and uh, it's been incredible. Uh, we've just had such an amazing journey around the world to many different nations, and so much of our lives has been uh, spent towards the nations, towards the unreached, towards parts of Asia and the Middle East and Africa and all over. And uh, in the last number of years, and this is the story I want to tell you a little bit this, this morning, is the Lord ambushed us for America. And uh, we didn't see that coming uh, we, we really had spent our hearts and our lives and continue to uh, for the nations and for the unreached, for the 2.5 billion that have still never heard the name of Jesus one time. But in that journey, God apprehended us for America as well and uh, began to plant faith in our hearts that he is by far not done with America. And uh, that America has a significant role to play for the 2.5 billion that are still waiting for a gospel witness. And so I'm just going to pick up kind of where this video left off, and we're just going to go from there. I'm going to tell you a little bit of some story uh, just to build faith in our hearts, and we're going to jump into the scriptures and just see where God takes us. But uh, it was seven years ago, like Lou said in the video, that God began to knit us together, and it was around a word that uh, we flew to his house and met with him in his living room. We had already begun to develop a friendship, but uh, not, not a ton, but enough to at least invite ourselves into his home. And uh, the word was, uh, was some, something that one of our dear leaders, Christy Brent, had been praying for Lou for a number of months, asking one question. We, were, we were really had followed the call, been marked by the call and the ministry of the call, which was filling stadiums since 2000 in America, calling, uh, calling America to fasting, prayer, and faith for revival, believing that God wanted to move in this nation. And we'd been marked by that. We'd been to some calls, watched the live streams of others, but uh, Christy had been praying for Lou for months, asking one question, what's next for Lou Engel? Is there a transition coming, a sense that maybe there was? And she had a word, and so we took that word to Lou, and that video talks about it, went to his living room, and in essence, the word was this, that there was a transition coming to the movement of the call, and stadiums had been filled, and they would continue to be filled, but they would be filled in the future with signs, wonders, gospel proclamation, ascending movement would result, and it was that passage, the gist of the word was Isaiah chapter 6, here am I, send me, and that the mantle and the passion and the zeal of Billy Graham would fall on an entire generation. And that's the part that this morning I want to kind of pick up on, because to me when I heard that, 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 that simple phrase is, is pregnant with meaning. And the, the reason it's pregnant with meaning and so important to me is that it, it, it's the most significant word in that series of words to me that speaks about all of us and speaks to the everyday common believer who wakes up on any given morning feeling very normal and kind of looks ahead at a normal day. And a, and a normal walk with God, and a normal work schedule, and can, because of that, easily and quickly disqualify ourselves from the heroic nature of the call of God on every believer, 
and to the significance of the life of every believer. When I heard that word, that the mantle, the passion, and the zeal of Billy Graham would fall on an entire generation, to me it spoke of the only thing in all of human history that has ever birthed a true revival or a true great awakening that touched an entire region. It was this, that the everyday common believer became the solution to the crisis in a nation. And, and I just think for far too long at times in the body of Christ, we have looked at those that hold microphones, stand on platforms, have positions or titles, and thought to ourselves, that's awesome, I'm so glad they're there to bring the kingdom, which could not be further from the Bible, could not be further from the reality of the early church, could not be further than the model that Jesus modeled for us, and because of that, a mass majority of the body of Christ has disqualified themselves or felt irrelevant or disempowered to be a hero in the kingdom storyline. So this word about the mantle and the passion and the zeal of Billy Graham falling on an entire generation was a transfer from one man who was willing to take responsibility for his entire generation, and that drove him to dozens and dozens of nations and stadium gatherings and arena gatherings and field gatherings and to raise millions of dollars and to touch the whole world with the gospel, that that same sense of responsibility would fall on the banker who goes to work at nine to five, would fall on the carpenter who goes to work in Orlando probably much earlier because it's so hot here, that that, that same sense of responsibility would fall on the, on the wife and the mom of six children. That same sense of responsibility would fall on the university student. That same sense of responsibility would fall on the high school student and that the everys and the alls would be empowered to walk out this tremendous opportunity to see a nation turned back to God. And I want to say this very clearly, is that without that, we will not see America turn back to God. If the everys and the alls are not empowered, and the common everyday believer are not empowered with an uncommon power and an uncommon authority, then we will not see America turn back to God. And we will not see what we're believing for in this generation. So in 2011, as Lou shared there, this began to explode in our hearts. And what's significant, I think, that, that I, I just want to encourage you with is that it was 2012, the next year that we met here in Orlando, for the, very ne for the next time that we were together to begin to continue to ponder this word, this transitionary word in the body of Christ. And it was here that the Lord spoke to us uh, in Orlando at a circuit rider YWAM gathering at OHOP, in the OHOP building, where for the first time, Lou Engel preached this message of Ekbalo, which was the sending forth, the thrusting forth of laborers into the harvest field to bring a, a, a massive harvest into these ripe harvest fields. And the significance of this was, one, it was in Orlando. And the word of the Lord to us as to why we even came to Orlando for that was that Orlando was a place that the generals would gather and where blueprints would be released to the body of Christ to see America turn back to God. That blueprints would fall if we would gather in Orlando. So in 2012, we gathered on that word. We ran this school. It was so much fun, but it was so much bigger than the school. It was about the destiny and the calling on Orlando, on the state of Florida, and the significance of that to the nation of America, and America's inheritance in the Great Commission in the nations. 
And so that year, the Lord spoke this Ekbalo word. We continue to get grip with harvest. And you got to know, for a man like Lou Engle, who'd been preaching uh, for years, well over a decade, prayer and fasting, you know, contending and breakthrough for, you know, these issues in, in the political realm and the laws and all these things, to all of a sudden be like launching missionaries to the nations was a massive whiplash. For those that were following Lou Engle, and a massive whiplash to the entire prayer movement that because of Lou's influence, all began to pray with renewed fervor, God, the harvest is ripe, send forth laborers to the harvest field. And it was like something struck us here in Orlando that we were on a journey and that God intended to move in America. And we began to pray this prayer, and I want to invite you into this prayer this morning as we began to pray, God, give us 80 million salvations in America. And it was a, through a time of prayer that that phrase landed in our hearts, that number even. And I remember going to God and being like, God, we don't want to be hype people and numbers and all of that. And I'm like, 80 million? That's a lot of people. And I just so clearly remember the Lord saying, like, are you serious? You don't think I want to save 80 million people? Like, I'm not allowed to want a lot of people to get saved. Like, I just remember, okay, God, it's, this is totally up to you. You want to actually save far more than that, but we're going to pray for 80 million salvations. And then out of that, that the largest missions force in human history would launch out of America. And we began to pray 200,000 new workers to the harvest fields of the Middle East, to the harvest fields of North Africa, to the harvest fields of the nations of the earth. And we began to see over these next several years, 2012, 2013, some significant words released into the body of Christ from mothers and fathers. Lou was one of those fathers carrying a word to the body of Christ now. It was so wild. We'd be in gatherings together. Together, and he would be praying and preaching this Ekbalo message and he'd pull out some name of some unreached people group that even us missions guys had never heard of in our lives. And Lou'd be like, we're praying for the Telefarus of Africa today. And you're like, the, the who's? And he's like, he's mobilizing to unreached people groups. And it was that same time, around the same year, I believe, 2013, I believe it was, that a man named Reinhard Bonnke also living in Florida, also from this area, CFAN, also headquartered in Orlando, where the Lord spoke to him, and he said, he began this dialogue with him, and if you know a little of Reinhardt's story, which is one of the best, is that, you know, he, he was in Africa, small ministry, small impact, small footprint, but he gone in obedience as a German missionary to Africa, and in the midst of that, the Lord spoke to him and said, I want to wash Africa in the blood of my son. And he spoke to him about a blood-washed Africa, that the, the blood of Jesus would wash the continent with forgiveness. And he said, God, how would I even possibly do this from my small footprint and my little influence in this little town I'm in? But he just began to walk in obedience. And over the last decades, they have conservatively estimated that CFAN, through the ministry of Reinhard Bonnke, has seen 77 million decisions for Christ in the continent of Africa. And decades later, it can be said that Africa is being washed in the blood of Jesus. So much so that at the current rate of believers in Africa, by the year 2035, one in every six humans on earth will be an African Christian. Because of the rate of the explosion of the gospel in that continent right now, it is erupting. And in 2012, 13, I can't remember exactly, the Lord spoke to Reinhardt and said, America has been the offering plate to the move of God in Africa. In other words, the finances that financed that move largely came from the generosity of America. And then the Lord spoke to him and said, but now it's America's turn. 
and America shall be saved. And this phrase landed like electricity in Reinhardt's heart. And now if I say that, that's one thing. You're like, good job, buddy. Like, we're with you, you know? It's like, high five me on the way out the door. But if you've seen 77 million salvations in a continent washed in the blood of Jesus, and then the Lord says to you, America shall be saved, how many of you know it's different? It's different than if I have a little dream or a little word in my quiet time and I start preaching it. It's different when you've seen 77 million people turn their hearts to Jesus and then God says America shall be saved and you're sort of like, America shall be saved then. Last time you said something this big, it happened. How many of you know he wants to do it again? And it's not too late for America. And he is speaking his heart over America. It was around the same time, 2013. I was with Lauren Cunningham, who's the leader and the founder of YWAM. And we were, he's in Kona, where I live and work. And uh, he was preaching a, 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 an evening service in our community. And Lauren is amazing. He has a saying. He says, sermonettes make Christianettes, which means that he loves to preach for a really long time. So he's, when, he's, when Lauren speaks, Lauren speaks. Yeah, permission. There you go, permission. There you go, your two-hour sermons. I just blessed you and your entire congregation. Two-hour sermons in Jesus' name. I, I, Lauren told Todd White that, and I was like, Lauren, that's a mistake. Todd's, Todd, Todd was like, permission. I'm going to preach longer than ever. And that night, Todd preached. I, he, it was the longest service we've ever had in the history of YWAM Kona, because Lauren gave Todd permission that sermonettes make Christianettes. And you better believe Todd wasn't going to make a Christianette. He preached for hours, and it was awesome. Lauren is preaching, and, and at times, because you know, we've heard a lot of the stories. They're amazing. We have new groups of students coming through that haven't, but our long-term staff have. But that night was different, and Lauren was telling different stories, and it caught my attention. And he was talking about how he had gone to Korea, South Korea in the 60s, and prophesied to the church that they would become one of the most prosperous nations in the world, and they would become one of the largest mission-sending nations in the world. And the believers at that time, they laughed at him. They literally laughed in his face and said, that's impossible. We can't even get passports. And they took him to a window, and they said, look out the streets. There's not a car on the streets. We're so poor. All we can do is ride bikes. And Lauren said, I don't know. It's just what the Lord spoke to me. And they literally, they laughed at him. But today, Korea's is the sixth largest economy on the earth, and they are the second largest mission-sending nation on the planet with only a population of 30 million because of what God has done there over the decades. He's telling this story. Then he talks about when the Lord spoke to him, and he was a young man. He was preaching in Europe, and the Lord spoke to him that the Berlin Wall is going to fall, and he said, you need to declare it. And he goes, God, I can't say that publicly. And he said, you say whatever I tell you to say. So he declares it publicly. He was heavily ridiculed. The newspapers publicly was ridiculed until the Berlin Wall fell shortly after. And he's tell, telling us these words, and I go, why in the world is he saying this? And then he says this sentence. He says, what I'm about to tell you, I feel more strongly than any of those words I just told you about. And he says, in the next seven years, we will see more salvations than in all of human history added together. And he spoke about a coming harvest to the nations of the earth. And this was 2013. He spoke about a season up until 2020 where the gospel would explode by never, like never before. And he said, that is just the beginning. And he began to declare this, and we began to grab a hold of this. And now looking back at the last five years or so since he has said that, we have never in human history 
seen the harvest that is occurring on the earth right now in the nations of the earth. Places that we would have said that we thought there were no gospel presence, the gospel is erupting. So much so that it would be said today that one of the fastest growing populations of Christianity on the earth is in Iran. The places where we have thought it's impossible. If you live in China right now, you live in the midst of the greatest revival in human history. A closed communist nation that now has the largest population of Christians of any nation on earth. There are more Christians in China today than any single nation on earth. I already talked to you about what's happening in Africa. In the last 13 years, please just let this just charge you with faith this morning. 13 years ago, there were over 3,000 unengaged people groups on earth. That means people groups that don't have a single known believer they don't have a single missionary trying to reach out to them and not a single known church in their entire people group. That's 3,000. In 2,000 years of Christianity since the days of Jesus, 3,000 people groups who have not a single known believer. In the last 13 years, over 2,000 of those people groups have been engaged, representing well over 2 million salvations among people who previously had never had the gospel in 2,000 years of human history. I was just talking with Steve Douglas a few days ago from Campus Crusade for Christ, and he said, today, right now, we are reaching an average of 300 unengaged people groups a year in the earth right now, and there are only 900 that remain in the whole world. We are living in unprecedented times. So much so that by the year 2025, seven years from now, the last language on earth to not have the scriptures will begin being translated in the next seven years so that we could say by seven years from today that for the first time in human history, it is possible for every single tribe, tongue, and nation to have the gospel. These are the days we are living in. The Lord has been exploding across the earth in these last numbers of years, and America has a critical role to play in what God's about to do. We began to see these words unfolding, and many of you maybe would have tracked the journey in 2016. It was actually in late 2015. Lou came to us again. We had been journeying across America, calling people into revival and into evangelism and into missions and to reaching the lost, that he said, I think it's time that we take another step towards the word in the living room, that the call becomes the sin. And he spoke to us then about the L.A. Coliseum and that God had put in his heart to rent the L.A. Coliseum, but that the call had no money and that the call had been diminishing even in its crowds. He goes, I, I can't gather people and I have no money to do this. But the Lord spoke to me and said, when a man finds a treasure buried in a field, he sells everything he has to buy that field. And he looked at us and he said, I believe the L.A. Coliseum is that field and that there's a treasure buried in that field, which is a tipping point for a nation. And he said, so I'm selling everything to buy the field. And Lou sold his home to rent the LA Coliseum for one day, believing that it would be a tipping point to a nation. And I remember sitting around with him, tears in our eyes going, I have never heard. It was the only possession he had for his family. It was the only inheritance he had for his family. And he called every one of his kids and said, guys, this is your only inheritance. And I won't do this unless you feel it's God. And every one of his kids said the same thing. You've given us something far greater than homes. 
sell the house, sell the house, buy the field. Let's believe for a tipping point in America. And in 2016, April, we gathered with 70,000 believers in the LA Coliseum, believing that now was the time for ascending movement to erupt in America, where the everyday common, beautiful believer is empowered to become the solution to the crisis in our families, the crisis in our neighborhoods, and the crisis in our nation. And I'll never forget that day as an amazing day. The morning was very much the call. It was beautiful reconciliation, repentance. It was powerful. And there was a transition point in the day where Lou told the story of the living room. And, and then he kind of transitioned. Todd White shared about the gospel and reaching the lost. And Billy Graham had actually heard about the gathering and had sent a little text message. And we read this text message to the entire stadium. And then there came a moment where we invited the entire stadium. If you are willing to go anywhere for the sake of the gospel, would you take your shoes off and put them over your head as a declaration and a sign to all of heaven and to all of earth that the church is willing to rise up again and to seek and save the lost no matter what it cost us. From our neighbors to the nations, there's nowhere we wouldn't go for the gospel. And I will never forget standing on that stage and looking out at 70,000 people holding their shoes above their heads. Some of those I could see in the front had tears just running down their faces as God was touching them for the lost. And we realized it had been all the way back to 1982, or the last time that America had a major missions mobilization. And it was Lauren Cunningham, and it was a man named Keith Green who'd been gripped, a musician, a songwriter, a hero in his generation. He'd been gripped with the message of missions through working with Lauren and meeting some of what, seeing some of what he was doing in the nations. And they planned a 70-city tour across America to call America to the ripe harvest fields of the nations. They did the first gathering. And after that first gathering, Keith Green died in a plane crash at 28 years old. And Lauren Cunningham and Melody Green, they got together, and Melody said, I just lost my husband, but the tour must go on. America must turn its eyes to the nations. And Lauren said they went to well over 70 cities. They went to more than they had planned, and they would show a video of Keith Green leading worship for the very last time. And then Lauren would come out and call people to the nations, and Lauren says, conservatively, 100,000 people went into missions because of the Keith Green Memorial Tour in 1982. And when we stood on that stage, we realized it had been decades since a major mobilization in America had taken place to where the Church of America would turn their eyes to the lost like never before, both to our neighbors and to the nations to walk out Jesus' passion to seek and save the lost. And something erupted that day, 2016, several years ago now, that I believe we're still in the implications of. We're still seeing the trickle effect. It was from there that I began to travel, I always have, to many different nations. And I can tell you today, I can't go anywhere without someone coming up to me and being like, hey, you don't know me, but I was in that stadium and I raised my shoes. And that's why I live in the Middle East now. And someone comes up to me and they go, hey, you don't know me, you don't realize it, but I, I couldn't come to Azusa now, but I was watching the live stream and I took my shoes off in my living room while I was watching the TV screen. And that's why I live in the Himalayas right now. God touched me for the nations and I've been gripped and I've been sent. And we've watched over the last several years as this has began to occur for both those that feel called to America and the nations, there is a resurgence in the heart of the church to go, it's not okay to 
to just do good church. It's not okay to just do good programs. It's not okay to just have good, fun gatherings. We much must touch the lost again. We must touch the nations of the earth again. We must affect our neighborhoods again. We must see America exposed to the beauty of Jesus again. Remember, I think it was Chris Valentin who said this years ago, and we began to pray it and believe for it, is that so much of the church at times can become like the pool of Bethesda. And the pool of Bethesda was the idea was that if you could get in the pool, you could get touched by God. And you would lay around the pool hoping when those waters got stirred that if you got in there, you'd get healed. He goes, that was never the way the church was meant to be. It was meant to be like Ezekiel's river. And out of the temple would flow a river, and everywhere the river went, healing would come. Redemption would come. Reconciliation would come. Forgiveness would be released. The church was always meant to be a river that would touch every family, every neighborhood, every nation. Not if you could just get in the building. The hope's not in the building. The hope's in the believer. And everywhere the believer goes, the hope goes. And we watched it in the last several years as something fresh is striking the heart of the nation. I just left to come here a couple days ago and several days before I'd left, 700 new fiery-eyed 18, 19, 20-year-olds had arrived in Kona not even knowing why they're coming, but gripped for the lost. And they'll spend three months getting trained and we'll send them all over the world. Our circuit rider teams going from campus to campus to campus. And when so many would say that young people in America are turning their backs on God, we have a different report. Our, our report is that university fountains are being turned into baptismals. And, 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 and pools aren't just for swimming, they're for dunking new believers. They get saved on these campuses and the testimonies of these teams that are going from campus to campus last year to two, over 200 campuses are this over America, the harvest is ripe. The harvest is ripe in the universities. The harvest is ripe in the high schools. The harvest is ripe in the families. Harvest is ripe in the neighborhoods of our nation. There's, there's no one who is lost that wants to and enjoys being lost. Sometimes we live with an idea or a mindset that the world is just so against Jesus. And what we have discovered is that the world is not resistant to Jesus. They're resistant to religion, but they're longing for a Messiah. They're longing for a savior. Have you ever met someone who was lost? Have you ever, I remember as a kid getting lost in, uh, in department stores. I still hate them to this day. I have PTSD every time we go into Nordstrom or something. I just want to hide and cover my head. I, I just remember being lost in stores because my mom just overshopped or something. And as a child, you are in dead panic. No one likes being lost. Everyone's waiting to be found. And it's funny, sometimes as a church, as believers, we can get mad at sinners for sinning. And we can read headlines, and man, the headlines are insane, are they not? We are in real crisis. But when we read those headlines, do we get upset at sinners for sinning, expecting them to live like a man they've never met? Or can we read headlines with compassion and look at this and go, this is just the manifestation of being lost. This is just someone trying to find a savior. And as the church turns its heart in compassion towards the lost, instead of getting angry at sinners for sinning, then we are on the verge of a massive move of God in this nation. 
So earlier this year was the next time we gathered after Azusa now in February. And where did we gather? Orlando. Why? Because the Lord said Orlando. He said Orlando seven years ago. He said something significant would take place in this city, in this region, that would touch the nation and the nations of the earth. And so we gathered with Todd White and Daniel Kalenda from CFAN and Michael Koulianos and Lou and some of us from YWAM and Circuit Riders with one question, is now the time to fully launch the send? Is now the time to fully do the word? And little did we know that two days before we would gather that Billy Graham would pass away. And it would be the final sign to us that it's time for his zeal to touch an entire generation. And it's time for his sense of responsibility to touch an entire generation. And in February of this year, we gathered and we took communion together and we made a commitment as, as, as people had gathered that day to go, God, we will lay our lives down for a move of God in America. And we will lay our lives down that America would set its eyes on the Great Commission and the ripe harvest fields of the nations like never before. And out of faith, we rented the Camping World Stadium and said, let's believe. And I was in there yesterday. I just said, you know, again, this is family, not... Uh, not, not a service. This is family. And I was in there yesterday. We were, we were walking through the stadium, and it was empty. I don't like saying empty when I think about that stadium. It makes me nervous. So it was full in Jesus' name. And, uh, and, uh, but I was walking through that stadium, and I, all I could, you know, it's just chair after chair after chair. And I can just tell you, I could care less about filling a stadium. I could care less about an event that just cost a ton of money. But... If those 60,000 seats in Camping World Stadium represent 60,000 everyday common believers who would get touched by an uncommon power on February 23rd and would leave that stadium as commissioned ones, sent ones, humble, normal, you and I, everyday believers, but now touched by zeal, Touched by compassion, touched by the same thing that burnt in the heart of Jesus. If those 60,000 chairs represent 60,000 individuals who will never stop reaching out to their families until they're saved, who will never stop going to their neighborhoods until they've been touched by the gospel, who would never stop believing for America, our high schools and our universities, then it's all worth it. If those 60,000 wouldn't leave commissioned. And so we believe with all of our hearts, this is the hour we're in. We believe that Florida is important to this. It's a key. It's a catalytic city. It's a catalytic moment. And I want to ask if we can stand together for this breakthrough. I want to ask you, Florida, Orlando, can we stand together for a breakthrough in this city, a breakthrough in this state? And can we stand together for the high schools of our nation? It's not enough to sit back and go, my gosh, another school shooting. Yes, another school shooting, but when will we take responsibility for the brokenness of our high schools? It's not enough to look and go, man, the universities, the professors, the humanism, it's there, it's real, but when will we take responsibility that those are our harvest fields? It's not enough to look at the brokenness of our neighborhoods. When will we take responsibility for the brokenness of those neighborhoods? Orlando, can we stand together for a breakthrough in this nation? Can we stand together for a breakthrough that would touch the 2.5 billion that will go to bed tonight, never one time having heard the name of Jesus. Can we give them a different reality 10 years from now? They will go to bed tonight, never one time having heard the name of Jesus. Can we give them a different reality?
Florida, can we stand together for a breakthrough? Yeah. I'm going to take you to the scriptures and then we'll pray a little bit. Matthew chapter 9, and this is that passage that was referring to earlier, very familiar to lots of us, but I just want to highlight several things and then we'll pray. Matthew chapter 9, let's start in verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. Gosh, don't you just love Jesus? I'm telling you, that one verse that I just read was more powerful than everything I said in the last 30 minutes. This is the authoritative word of God about the Son of God, the Messiah. It says, I'm just going to read it again. Just let the word penetrate your heart this morning. Jesus went through all the towns, all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into this harvest field. And I want to just draw a couple things here. and We'll just pray, but from the life of Jesus and what he modeled for us. And the first thing is this, is that, is that Jesus went. And we can overlook these little verbs and just go, oh, they're just little verbs. They're just common verbs. There's something significant in the understanding, the revelation. Jesus just went. How do you know revival's not rocket science? It's when the church starts going. It's when we can look back and go, we just went. You know, and you look at every hero's story. You know, anyone you, would, we, you and I would think is a hero, and you dive into their story, and you're like, oh, that's just really simple, and it's really boring, and you hear 77 million salvations, and you're like, Reinhardt, how did it happen? He's like, well, I just went to one village, and then I went to a second village, and then I went to a third village, and I went to another city, and you realize this stuff's not rocket science. It's not for superstars. It's not for those that might write a really powerful worship song. It's for you and I. I didn't even make the, I wasn't even like a B-teamer in high school. Like, you know, the last kid picked on the kickball field. You know, I'm from a tiny little town in Alaska. Like, I grew up, I grew up in a, you know, my, the community I was born in had 20 homes in the entire town. Like, I lived on an island out near Russia for years, and we had no trees on the island. It was too windy. I've lived in obscurity my entire life, like, and I love obscurity. It's, this, is, this, this move of God is not for a few. It's not for microphones. It's for you and I, everyday common believers who would look back on the story of our lives and go, the only heroic thing I did really was I just went. And when it got hard, I didn't stop wanting. And when it got difficult, I didn't stop going. And we'll look back and go, what did you do? Your neighborhood got transformed. What have you done for the last 10 years? And I, I, I just went to a home. And then I went to another home. And, and then I went to another neighbor that I hadn't talked to, even though we've lived next to each other for three years. And then I, then I just went to some kids that were playing baseball down the street. And then I just went to another house. And then, then I thought, man, there's another neighbor over there. I just went there. And you're like, that's it? Like, that's it. That's so unimpressive. 
Welcome to the kingdom. Welcome to the kingdom. A whole bunch of unimpressive people doing unimpressive things for a super impressive God. It's really it. And Jesus just wants. And I think if you walk to you with him those days, you'd be like, what are we doing? Jesus like, I'm just going to want. I just, we're going to want today. We're going to go. You're like, really? That's it? He's like, yeah, we're just going to go. And he just went. And he went from town to town. And it says then he was teaching in their synagogues. And now this is profound and would have been super impressive is he was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. How do you know it's good news? And part of the reason maybe that America's lacked a harvest at times is maybe the church has lacked the revelation that the news is good. Because if it wasn't good, it's not really worth getting saved or joining a community for, right? And how often has the church kind of come to the world and we've been like, hey, you should join me and join what I'm doing. And they're like, all right, tell me more. And they kind of interview you and you're like, well, we're all, you know, I'm kind of struggling with the same things you are. And they're around the, you know, around a believer and go, my gosh, their life's not really any different than I am. And you go, well, is it really good news if it doesn't change the life? Is it really good if it doesn't transform the life? But Jesus proclaimed the good news. And you know, the lost are longing for good news. But they are resistant to religion. They don't want to just join a religion. They want good news. And Jesus proclaimed good news. There's forgiveness for sin. There's breakthrough over addiction. Those cycles and patterns can end, and they can end right now. Your life can be different, and it's not a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. It's a breaking of the chains gospel. It's a breaking of addiction gospel. It's a breaking of patterns gospel. It's a healing of generational wounds gospel. It's a forgiveness of every sin in all of our lives gospel. It's a, it's a gospel that's never seen a sin it couldn't forgive and wash away. It's good news, and he proclaimed it everywhere he went. And what would it look like? Do you know in America there are 100 million professing believers. There's more than that, but there are a hundred million that actually would still say the Bible's true. hundred million. If one, if every one of them led one person to Jesus, come on, we'd have a hundred million new believers in this nation and 80 million is way too small. This isn't rocket science. This isn't going to happen on a few stages. This isn't going to happen because the right speaker had the right message and it went viral on YouTube. This is going to happen because the everyday common believer gets up in the morning and goes, God, I'm just going to go. And when I go, I may not be the best preacher in the world. I'm still getting to know my Bible. But you know what I can say? Good news. Good news. Don't you love Jesus when he commissions his disciples before he ascends to heaven? He says, hey, everywhere you go, and he tells them, Jerusalem, you know, go to the region, go here, the city, go to the region, then he goes to the uttermost parts of the earth. And if you're a disciple and Jesus is about to beam up to heaven, how much are you panicking in that moment? Wait, you're leaving? You're the greatest leader who's lived in all of human history? Like, give us every, we need a little more instruction here. And he goes, no, 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 what, here's what you need to do. Jerusalem, all the way to the uttermost parts of the earth, be my witnesses. And if I was a disciple, I'd be like, well, uh, more? Like, what, what should we tell him? He's, and he goes, just tell him about me. Right. Right. And, and you're like, well, I only know two things about you. He goes, awesome. Tell him two things about me then. <laughs> and Peter's probably like, well, I know a thousand things about you. And Jesus is like, just pick two, Peter. That's just, just pick two. Just, just two. And we've turned this, we made this thing so complex. And because of that, we've disqualified the majority of the body of Christ. Raise your hand in here if you can say good news. Raise your hand if you can tell someone that Jesus can forgive their sins. 
Raise your hand in here if you can tell someone Jesus loves them. The gospel's far simpler than we've made it out to be, but because of those complexities, we wake up disqualified. If a hundred million believers even shared the gospel with one person in one year, a hundred million new people would hear the gospel. The everyday believer empowered to be the hero in the storyline. He proclaimed good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without shepherd. How do you know when Jesus looked out in Jerusalem of his day or Israel of his day, it was not a pretty sight. The only way you heal the diseased and the sick is because you're among the diseased and the sick. And in his day and in his time, and still if you go to many developing nations today, the, the sick are not in nice, clean hospital rooms. They're lining the streets begging because it's the only way that they can survive. And there are still many cities you can go to today where there are entire sectors of that city that are littered, not littered, they're lined is what I want to say, with dozens, dozens of people that are in sickness and fatal diseases. It's not pretty. It's not clean. It smells. It's painful. It hurts. And this is what Jesus looks out at. He sees the brokenness, the sickness, the diseases. He smells the brokenness, the sickness, and the diseases. And he looks out at this, and then he goes, not only is there sick and diseased around me, he goes, but even the common person is harassed, and they are helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He's not looking out at a quintessential, beautiful little community that looks nice, and he goes, I could believe for revival here. He's looking out at brokenness. He's looking out at hunger. He's looking out at starvation. He's looking out at those that are begging for their livelihood. He's looking out at sickness and fatal illnesses. He's looking out at impossible situations. He's looking out at the common everyday person that is harassed and helpless. He's looking out at some of the most historic racism in all of human history that occurred during the time. He's looking out at political division, political oppression. Everyone's oppressing someone else. The Romans are oppressing the Jews. The religious leaders of the Jews are oppressing the everyday person of the Jews. There's all this division breaking out between the Samaritans and the Jews. They hate each other. They won't even walk through each other's towns. There's religious oppression. There's political oppression. There's racial oppression. None of these oppressions or none of these divisions we have felt in our day and our time are new to the earth. And Jesus saw it maybe more visible and ugly than we are even seeing it today. Sometimes we look around and go, how much worse is it going to get? I'm telling you, sin's not new on the earth. Prejudice is not new on the earth. It's been this way, but our Messiah and our Savior looked out at the brokenness of his times, harassed and helpless. Look Look at the adjectives that describe what he saw. Sick, diseased, harassed, and helpless. And yet what did he say? The harvest is ripe. I just need laborers who believe it. How often we've looked out at the cities of our nation and said a phrase is more like this, too hard, too dark. How often we looked out at our own cities and thought, my gosh, what are we going to do next? How often we looked out at our own nations and God, I don't know if God can do anything here. I'm telling you what Jesus saw is far worse than what we most of us have ever seen with our eyes. And he looked into the midst of the darkness, and he said he was filled with compassion 
because the lost were acting lost. And in the midst of that compassion, what wells up within him is there is no place that the mighty right arm of my Father cannot reach. And there is no place that the blood that will soon flow from Calvary cannot touch. And there is no place that my love cannot overwhelm, overcome, and conquer. And in the midst of harassed, helpless, diseased, and sick, Jesus makes a prophecy and a declaration. The harvest is ripe. What would it look like, friends, as I wrap up? What would it look like if the Church of America could look out in the midst of crisis, in the midst of difficult headlines, in the midst of racism, in the midst of oppression, in the midst of all the difficulties? And what if the declaration of the church became the harvest is ripe? No matter the darkness, no matter the difficulty. Because uh, I think too hard and too dark don't even exist in the vocabulary of God. Those are human terms. Those are human mindsets. And we say things like hardest and darkest, and Jesus says things like harvest is ripe. <laughs> what did he see? What did he feel? How do we tap into that? What if we could have his eyes? What if we could feel his emotions? What if we can look at your neighborhoods and instead of feeling overwhelmed, feel a sense of hope? Come on, what if we can look at age-old brokenness in our nation? Instead of feeling overwhelmed, we felt a sense of hope. Do you think Jesus looks at any place on earth? Let's take North Korea right now. I've been there. I've seen the hope of the gospel. I watched it penetrate two North Koreans' hearts as they had never heard the gospel in their lives one time. And this was their phrase. They said, we've never heard of or ever thought that there could be a God who could forgive. And what if we could look out at the North Koreas of the world? Do you think God looks down and says, oh, too hard, too dark, I'll send my church somewhere else? Do you think he looks down at any neighborhood in Orlando and goes, ah, too hard, too dark, let's just focus over there, it's easier? Do you think he looks down at the Muslim world today where we would have thought too hard, too dark, and what we don't realize is the difficulty and the tragedy and the crisis of ISIS has actually led to the most openness for the gospel in the history of the Muslim world? Because millions of Muslims are looking at ISIS and going, if this is Islam, we want nothing to do with it. And there is an explosion of the gospel across the Muslim world right now, today. Do you know that there are more Muslims in the nation of Indonesia than any nation on earth? You want to hear something more astounding than that? Statistically, every 15 seconds, an Indonesian Muslim is turning to Jesus. Every 15 seconds. What we have called hard and dark, Jesus has called ripe. And when the church begins to declare ripe over our cities and ripe over our nations and ripe over our neighborhoods, because it requires that kind of hope and it requires that kind of tenacity to get out of the bed in the morning and continue to go and to never stop going and to never stop moving in compassion. So Jesus makes this declaration. He declares that the harvest is ripe. But this is my question, but it's also my belief about this community is Jesus goes, the harvest is ripe. All I need... All I need. And he didn't say a really awesome band. I love good bands. He didn't say a really good preacher. I, don't, I love really good preachers. He didn't say a really awesome, flashy, you know, service. I love all that. He didn't say like a giant mega church. He didn't say all that. He goes, all I need are laborers who believe it. The harvest is ripe. All I need 
everyday, common, little bit immature, little bit insecure, little bit dysfunctional, high five, little bit dysfunctional, little bit immature, little bit insecure, raw, everyday believers, and we will turn the world upside down. Do you stand with me, church? Come on. Come on. I don't know whether you want to worship. I don't know what you want to do. I'll leave some of that to Pastor George, but I do know we need to pray today. <laughs> and what I would love for us to be able to pray together, because there is no greater thing, I believe, in the heart of Jesus that could happen this morning than that we would walk out of these doors today knowing we are the solution for the crisis. We are the solution for the crisis. And guess what? I feel the same thing when I look in the mirror as you feel when you look in the mirror. I feel it the same. You know what else felt the same way? Billy Graham felt the same way. Why? Because it's human. Look in the mirror and go, a little bit insecure, a little bit immature, a little bit of dysfunction. Right? Just a dad of six trying to find my way through. Right? And not so bold, not so courageous, sometimes a little timid, sometimes a little hesitancy. Still get 90% of words and knowledge wrong. Still trying. Half the sick I pray for still get sicker, but I'm still pressing in. Right? right? We all, we're all feel the same. It's a lie and illusion to think someday we're going to look in the mirror and go, my gosh, I got a big S on my chest. I am super Christian. It's a lie. And we're waiting to feel ready. Stop letting our emotions lead us. Let's be led by faith. You are filled with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God fills and loves to fill immature, insecure, slightly dysfunctional vessels. It's not an excuse to remain dysfunctional. It's not an excuse to remain immature. It's just what I still see when I look in the mirror. But if I'm waiting to feel ready, then I'm still in that little tiny town in Alaska with a fly rod in my hand, fishing on a river, thinking I have no real purpose to life. And I think Jesus' greatest dream this morning would be that every single person in this beautiful community, this incredible family, this beautiful church, would walk out of these doors and go, my gosh, I'm just going to go. And I'm just going to proclaim. And I'm just going to walk in compassion. And I'm just going to be a laborer in the ripe harvest fields of America. And some of you, 10 years down the road, are going to look back and go, holy smokes, my neighborhood got changed by Jesus, and I don't even know how. I didn't have some great strategy. I just went, and I didn't stop going. 10 years from now, some of you guys are going to find yourself in the Muslim world and went, man, I just never guessed when that guest speaker I'd never heard of before came through and started talking about nations that I'd be the answer to my own prayers, and now I'd be living in the Middle East. And some of you are going to find yourself in those places but that every one of us would leave this morning knowing that we are empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit to become a part of the solution in the greatest harvest in all of human history. So can we pray together right now? Is this a praying church? I kind of, I'm told it's a praying church. I believe it's a praying church. Just put your hands out before the Lord. And, and this has got to be personal. It's got to be real. It's got to be us and God, right? Not, not something any of us can really do for each other. So I want to just invite you to begin to pray right now and to begin to declare an ending of any hesitancy, fear that would hold us back from walking what we know Jesus is inviting us into. So can we just lift our voices in prayer a little bit? Maybe you haven't prayed out loud a ton in your life. This is a great time to get started. Let's just begin to tell the Lord. Let's begin to respond to it. Jesus, we ask today, come on. Jesus, we ask today, shatter the hesitancy in our lives. 
Lord, shatter the fear in our lives. Lord, we ask today, come on, guys, pray with me today. Pray with me today. Come on, we ask God, break the fear in our lives, God. We're asking, shatter every lie of disqualification in our lives today. And let's pray this. Baptize us in hope. Just pray this with me. Just declare this with me. Jesus. Come on, church. Jesus. In Jesus' name. Fill me with hope today. Fill me with hope today. Give me new eyes today. Give me a new heart today. To see what you see. To feel what you feel. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we just declare as a community, here we are. Send us, God. Find us today. Find us, not perfect, just willing. Find us today, not super Christians, just willing, God. Find us today, not, not the most impressive on the earth, but maybe the most willing on the earth. Aha, I'm convinced God was not impressed when he looked down and saw me. All he saw was willingness, and he was impressed by willingness. Father, I pray for willingness to rise up in our hearts today. Willingness to rise up in our spirits today. Willingness would rise up. Willingness. If some of you, some of you want to respond today and go, man, I, I, I have been trapped in hesitation, but I want to become willing. I just invite you to the front this morning. If you need to just make a stand across the line today to go, I am coming out of hesitation. I am breaking the lies that I'm not qualified. And I am moving into willingness to go anywhere and do anything then I just invite you to the front to pray together, just to respond to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.